everyone. This is Mona. If you've been following the news this week, you know that there have been an eruption of violence around police brutality, people of color, Black Lives Matter protests, and it feels like to me and to Jeff that our country is in mayhem at this moment. Uh, we planned this episode long before these events, and we wanted to let you know that we won't be addressing these things today, but we hope to in the coming weeks. We want to say that we are in solidarity with all those who have lost loved ones, all those who do not feel safe, and we absolutely are in line with the mission of Black Lives Matter. We also want to say that thank you to those police officers who are serving and protecting our communities and fighting for the rights of all. So please, in these times, resist picking sides, resist blame and easy answers, work towards structural change, work toward reconciliation, work toward knowing your neighbor. And we all stand in solidarity with making this country what it ought to be, which is a place of safety and freedom for all. If you have questions, feedback, comments for us, we would like to hear from you about these things. We would like input for that upcoming episode. And if you would like to reach out to us, you can reach us at irenicast.com slash feedback. Thank you and enjoy the upcoming episode, which I will say, one of the biggest forms of resistance we can have is to offer our creativity and our ideas and our imagination and to not let hopelessness overcome us. So you're about to hear a conversation between Jeff and I on creativity, and I offer you to think about it as a mode of resistance against injustice. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenicast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, is Mona. We are post-evangelical ministers and theological thinkers grappling with our place in the progressive Christian world. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on faith and culture. This week, as we said at the top of the show, our topic is going to be creativity. And for our segment, we're going to be bringing back good news, bad news. But before we get into our conversation this week, we have a couple announcements here at the top of the show. Uh, you'll notice that with me, as always, is Mona, but Alan is not with us this this week or probably for the next couple weeks. He is taking a bit of a sabbatical. As we all know, rest is important. And while Alan is on sabbatical, since we'll be a man down in the booth, we are going to be bringing in a variety of guest hosts over the next few weeks. Last week, you were able to hear um, from Simple Church, and we have a lot of great people with great insight coming to you in the next few weeks. So we hope you enjoy that. And then we may even from time to time do some different things with the show. And uh, we are, as usual, always welcome your feedback. Let us know what you think. Um, submit your ideas, all kinds of different things as we move forward with the show. And then also um, the book club that we've been announcing the, a, f- a few weeks before this. We didn't have the response we were hoping for, so we're going to postpone it to the fall. And if you want more information on the book that we're doing, go to irenacast.com slash book club. So creativity, that's what we want to talk about this week. Uh, we, we thought it'd be a good idea to kind of talk about the creative process, especially we've kind of had some heavier episodes over the last few weeks. And all, I think all of us involved in this podcast, we really enjoy it. And and for the most part, it's, it's a refuge for us to be able to kind of get some things off our chest and explore new ideas and have conversations that challenge us and push us forward. And of course, the encouragement that we get from listeners whenever um, they give us feedback as far as how we've impacted or give them a new perspective. So creativity is an important aspect of what we do. I mean, <laughs> the time we spend off of this uh, these conversations, figuring out what conversations we're going to have, how we want to frame them, what segments we're going to do, uh, is sometimes infuriating, but mostly invigorating, at least for me. It is. It's it's a good challenge. It takes it takes some energy. It takes some work, but it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. And I think in like a selfish way, <laughs> there's reasons to stick with this. Um, not in an ego sense, because I'm not sure that I really know many people who listen personally. But you know, I often when I'm listening to the podcasts, I I picture in my head that these folks are like somewhere in like a super swanky sound booth, you know, with like their like professional headsets, like drinking their artisanal coffee. Okay, so the artisanal coffee cart part is true probably for at least Jeff and Alan on a regular basis. But like I'm sitting in my apartment, like, you know, with my water bottle and my little microphone, you know, just kind of hanging out. Like I think 
I've talked to a couple of people. They're like, oh, this is really professional. It's only professional actually because Jeff takes, puts a lot of time into like the audio quality and stuff that we do, but we're just like seriously normal folks doing this, just trying to talk to each other and to other people. So, um, in fact, right now I am surrounded by podcasters. I am on the road in a hotel room with this makeshift setup. Um, at a convention about podcasting. So we're upping our game here at Iron Okay, Cast. so you're you speak- super pro pro now. Yeah, it's true. I'm, I, I, you could, <laughs> no, but you speak about coffee. Like I, I brought my coffee grinder. No, you did and not. My gram scale and my, you brought uh, my, a scale. My instant read thermometer and my AeroPress. Like I have the whole setup. You brought um, a scale I just, I just posted, and a thermometer. Yes. I just posted on our Instagram account. A picture of the recording setup. So I will follow up with a picture of my coffee setup so you can see exactly what I do when I go to a hotel because I have to have <laughs> good coffee. I just have to. You know, it's, hotel coffee is okay. I'm not a, I'm not a coffee snob at all. I'll drink like anything, but like hotel coffee, you know, with like the little coffee maker they put in the bathroom, you're like, you know, you're thinking about going to the bathroom while you're making your coffee. That's, that's gross. That's, yeah, it it's is. gross. You shouldn't make coffee in anywhere but a, pristine environment a pristine environment yeah yeah this this podcast has meant a lot to me personally it's just it's been a place to process and especially someone who like went through seminary and how difficult seminary is emotionally and mentally and spiritually um having a place to process things especially someone who's not going into clergy after that experience having an outflow um somewhere to put all this kind of semi-useful useless knowledge and um you know, fellow, you know, comrades to process things with has been pretty tremendous for me, (laughs) for me. Yeah. And I would say that that's true in general for the creative process. Like I would say that for me, it really wasn't until, till the beginning of my ministry, like my creative outlet for the longest time was my weekly youth sermon and my weekly youth service. It didn't strike me that that was a creative endeavor until my first, my first class in in college, uh, my first class in my theology degree, and I took a Genesis Exodus class, and they went over the beginning of Genesis. And I am coming from you know a Pentecostal evangelical church where your, you know, your reading of Genesis is all about the authority of God and. He created the earth and there's no evolution, which we've discussed at length throughout the course of the show. The first thing that I remember being taught in that class was the, because one of the things that always got caught up when we would talk about the science evolution thing was the order of events in Genesis. You know, how can the sky be created before the sun or light before the sun, all that kind of stuff. But when I took this class, it was this, this revelation that inspired and carried over something that gave me a bigger vision of what creativity is. And it was just the simple like graph that or outline that he put on the board. And it was like, here's the first day where there's, there's day and there's night. And then here's the second day where there's sky and land. And then the third day when there's land and water, I think that's the order. Forgive me if I messed up the order. So you just have like the foundation set and then the corresponding days. So one day, one corresponds with day four. So the sky, and the, the day and the night were created, and then the things to populate the day and the night were created, the sun, the moon, and the stars. The land and the sky were created, and then the, the corresponding day, the things that populated that. So it was this, this creative process, and there was a flow, and there was an order to it. And for some reason, it just stood out to me as, wow, like that idea of create, you know, we call it creation, but before that point, I would never apply the word creativity to the creation of the world. Does that make any sense? Makes total sense. I and I love it. And I think <laughs> most of the conversations I've had about that particular passage are like, it's literal or not literal, but people miss the actual content and the themes happening there, <laughs> including <Yeah>. myself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah, if God is the origin of creation and the original creator, capital O, capital C, uh, it would make sense that like God has the creative process down and we might be able to learn some things from those narratives pretty cool well and it highlighted a principle in in my my personal creative process and then this this has been like reaffirmed and then i finally got words for it like years later is that i really believe that structure makes spontaneity possible 
and and I've read s- several a couple books. One in particular um, by a woman named Twyla Tharp. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'll put the the name of the book and the author in the the show notes. She's actually a ballet dancer in New York, and uh, she talks about her creative process. And a lot of the book is basically like just her talking about her morning routine and how setting a morning routine, a foundation of something familiar, opens the door for her creativity. And I'm I'm a routine person. I I, I stay consistently consistent with a routine, but then I change that routine later and then have a new set of consistency. So it's like this hybrid between changing all the time and having you know regular habits. You are so good at that stuff. Like I've met very few people who are that good at routine and like getting stuff done, but like in a very conscious way. I really admire that about you. Seriously. If I, if I don't have that, I I feel like I can't be creative. See, like I, it just, it's stifling for me. I'm the total opposite. Routine makes me feel so claustrophobic. (laughs) 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 Can we back up for just a second and just talk about like what creative process even is? Yes. What is it? Uh, why is it important? We live in a culture of like results and goals, you know, like what are your goals? Like there's like a gajillion Instagrams of like fitness goals. Like what, have you set your goals today? I, I, and I find for me, I, I like what you said about structure facilitating creativity, but a, a lot of times to me, it feels like structure becomes the point and it's the total opposite of what it means to create. So, um, like, so I guess my question is like, what, what is creative process? itself. Well, I think it's the space that we create to create, if that makes any Whoa. sense. Like, yeah. Like for you, what is your what is your creative process? Like when you sit down to do something creative, like do you have any routines or ritual even? Because mm. I, th- I think that those two things are somewhat interchangeable. Like something that like grounds you like and puts you in the mindset of I'm doing this. And that's what I mean by like habit and structure. I think some people's habit and structure is a little bit more like organized and focused, but that doesn't mean that I still think that the, the creative process for the most part has to start with some, something like that, that grounds you into this mode. Okay. Okay. Now that you're saying it. Okay. So this is funny because I feel like I'm so averse to structure that once I start describing, because I do have a process now that you're saying it, but now once I start describing it, I'm going to be like, oh man, it's too structured. I got to change it up. <laughs> this is typically what happens. So I like to paint and that I, I do other creative stuff too. I write music and whatnot, but painting I think is the most tangible thing to talk about in this moment. So creative process for me looks like usually having a conversation with people that gets me thinking or churning on an idea or a metaphor or a symbol. Um, like for example, recently I was kind of exploring ideas, like it's always an idea first, exploring ideas around, um, intimacy and how cheap intimacy can be for some of us. Um, and, and maybe just culturally how cheap intimacy can be. And I thought it would be kind of funny to make a painting of two giant toothbrushes, like brushing each other in a bedroom, like a romantic setting. (laughs) (laughs) Just the idea that a lot of people reduce intimacy to something very um, mundane and almost boring and trivial when it doesn't have to be that way. So I thought it would be kind of ironic to depict, you know, people just brushing each other's teeth, you know. Um, So anyway, I I kind of had the concept and then I sketched it out, you know, just write a little sketch. And then uh, I found a canvas and I put the canvas on my easel and I stared at it for maybe like a week. I, this this happens every time. Like, I feel like for me, starting the thing, like actually starting it is like a really ginormous step. Like I have to step over this cavern to start the trip, hmm. to start the journey. Um, once I, yeah, for once sure. I s- lay that first brush stroke on, I can just go. But the, the idea of just starting that first brush stroke is super like intimidating. And it's almost like I have to get to know the canvas. This is going to sound really bizarre, but I have to like get to know the canvas and like its essence and like get familiar with it. And it's like spatially, um, to be able to start working with it. Um, but I have to tell you the first time I touched oil paint to canvas, it was like a portal opened into another dimension. And I felt like an epiphany of light, like fill my being. I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes you just have a thing that you just connect with on a really visceral level. And for me, that was paint. It just, something clicked. And so, um, whenever I, whenever I do get to the point where I touch that first breaststroke, I like, I kind of like go, <gasps> like, it's just so exciting to start that process. Um, so I have the idea, I sketch it, 
I stare for a very long time and then I start working. And I use, I like to paint in a method that's called al prima, alla prima, which is an Italian word means um, one sitting, basically. Uh, I don't have a lot of patience for process. So for me, it's like kind of liberating to be like, okay, I can finish this in one setting. So I'll paint for a couple of hours and then try to finish the painting in that time because it, and I want to get to a point where I can work on it over a series of days because most people who get really good at painting, like you have to chunk it up into multiple sittings because uh, it's just not possible to do it in one sitting. But for me, that's what works now. And I'm a baby painter. So that's what I do. So yeah, so that the the last, the very last step, and this is maybe kind of a cool metaphor for what we're talking about. So you get all the big chunks of color. It's called blocking on the page. You sketch it, you get the chunks of color, then you start working on detail. And then at the very end, usually you do your extreme. So you do your, your lightest lights and your darkest darts to like highlight the, and contrast and like bring out and make that thing jump off the page but that's not till the very end so like a lot of times you'll be in the middle of a painting you'll be like this looks like crap (laughs) (laughs) this just looks like blobs i don't know what i'm doing you know there's a whole process of doubt that goes into that um so at the very end sometimes it'll pop and sometimes it doesn't even pop then it's like I heard a painter say this who, who paints really, really realistic stuff. Like if you, if you're looking at a mug, he'll paint the mug like exactly like a photo. And he was saying, Oh, I, I was watching a, a, a video of him painting and he said something like, Oh, it almost jumped out to me. I never see the illusion. Other people can see it, but I never see it. Cause like the painter can see every single brushstroke and every single decision they made through that whole process and almost always they don't see the illusion or the magical um the eye tricks that other people see like they never see the magic eye they only see the shapes so that's fascinating and that was the guy who painted super lifelike stuff like for people who paint you know like van gogh or like picasso or super abstract stuff pollock or whatever like the painter almost never experiences the magic that other people experience so i think that's something Hmm. to be said about creative process too it's like sometimes you might be giving a gift that you yourself will never be able to fully appreciate yeah yeah so when you create are you creating for yourself like or do you have in mind how people will benefit from your creation i i think i mostly create for myself i i mean it's a really different thing to paint or to create um for money i i to me that changes really fundamentally the process because it changes your voice it changes who you do it for um for Mm. me i i i paint for me and i hope that other people get a kick out of it or it makes them think but i i think for me i have to be thrilled with what i'm doing even if i don't see the magic of it totally like i want to be proud of like what comes out of my soul but I'm also not trying to make a living off of it. And I have the benefit of having other means of making a living. So I don't have that pressure. Um, for sure. So there's kind of freedom in that, I guess, too. I would say for me, the, that my hundred, my creativity is hundred percent how people will receive it in the sense that my creative outlets have always been for the purpose of inspiring people and getting them to think in a different way. Because I mean, my, my primary avenue for the longest time was, was preaching and then learning that part of that preaching is also the environment that I get to create around that preaching. So when I did a youth service, like I tried to be as creative as possible with the whole service, like the flow. And I would always play with it and I'd be like, well, if we put this here and we put that there, um, there's one of the things that I miss the most about my church experience is, is, uh, uh, we mentioned it last week. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was mentioned last week on the podcast about the, yeah, because we were talking about the altar call and how I, I really resonated with that idea of like, I miss the altar call. I miss some kind of response, something that you can do in, in connection with what you may be feeling in that moment. And, uh, one of the things that, that I remember incorporating from my youth was when I was a kid, I loved, you know, the WWF or the WWE. And one of the things that always like got me going was like, when you hear that wrestler's music, like, you know, they're going to come out. So you're like, you're looking around on the TV, like, which way are they going to come and all that kind of stuff. And I incorporated that idea into our youth service to create anticipation and then also to create from familiar, familiar, 
<laughs> to create a familiar sense of <laughs> habit for them. So like when they, when they heard each, each part of the service was divided into segments. So when they hear the music, they know which leader, or which student was going to come up to do that part of the service. And it created this, this atmosphere that I thought really, you know, heightened what the words were. So it expanded from what the words I was saying to being my creative endeavor into the whole creating the space for that. So it's like, it sounds like it was like a super embodied, like almost subconscious level you're working with the creativity and the experience of what those kids got to have every week based on how you designed it. That's awesome. I loved it. And that's what, that's, that's the one thing that I, that I loved about that was the ability to be flexible with the church structure and worship structure. Mm. We've talked about that before. Um, but now it's like with the podcast, like how, what can we do to help kind of, uh, create a, a place where people are inspired and encouraged and, you know, push to think a little bit more in as a result of the things that we've done. And I think that that's kind of the motivation that we have here. And you talk about that idea of like waiting forever to start. I remember when we started this podcast, I emailed you maybe a year and a half <laughs> before I emailed you again a year and a half later saying, okay, remember that idea? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it was this long like process because for me, it's that before I take that step into creating the thing, I feel like I have to learn as much as I can about it. So when I actually step into it, the, the action part is second nature so that I can put all my effort into the creativity part. That's really cool. And you know, what you're describing to me, it sounds like with the things that we do, and this is kind of interesting where maybe the attitude or the language that you use really matters in this way because, you know, you're talking about describing a youth service like, sure, you're going to plan it and you're going to plan it with excellence, but it's another level and another, another maybe beast altogether to craft it and to play with it. You know, you can do something with excellence and you can do it so well and it can be seamless and flawless, but you're you could still not quite be crafting it like you were describing and playing. Yeah, it's that that line between like creativity and something that's polished. You know, we mm. we have a tendency to use that terminology to something that's really slick and has all the like the parts to it, but it doesn't have that intangible it factor to it. It doesn't have soul. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have heart and soul. I mean, that's I think that's what it comes down to for me and I you know, I recently read a um a really an interesting article, something to the effect of like messy hospitality or like um hospitality is not polished of like people coming back to the value of like okay you can entertain your friends and you can wow them and you can impress them with like gourmet food and a pristine house but do people really feel invited in do they really feel like they get to know you do they really feel comfortable do they really feel inspired in your presence in that scenario no they'll feel impressed but they won't feel intimacy they won't feel like familial love you know so um Mm. And I think to me, that's where it becomes an art. Like it might not be perfect. And that might be part of the point of it to remind us that that's, that's not what we're here for is perfection. We're here for heart and we're here for soul. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, I don't know. What's, what's the point? What's the point? I agree with you. I agree with you. So, okay. So let me ask you, I've had this conversation with multiple people, you know, as someone who like dabbles in music and arts and stuff like that, it'd be like, when I have conversations about people, a lot of times people, and these conversations will kind of um, make the conversation self-referential to the degree that they'll say things like, well, oh, you're creative, but I'm not. Like you're a creative person that they'll like throw that identity onto me because I try stuff, um, but they have labeled themselves as non-creative. So whenever, you know, I'm showing the painting or something like that, it becomes more about them and what they cannot do or what they have yet to mm. try or won't try because they're afraid. And I get so frustrated with that because I honestly don't think I have exceptional talent. I just try things and I wish everyone would try things like, so, so do you see, do you consider yourself a creative person? Do you think that's an important identity to own or is it more just about like practicing creativity and being creative? Mm, I think I, too many times we mistake creativity with talent and that's where I think people get hung up. Where if you have a talent for something, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not creative for it. Like some of the best things that have been created, like think think in terms of like a writer who writes a show. They could never act the show that they're writing. They could never direct it. They have this particular skill that when 
put into motion has this way to, to flourish. And then it brings other people's talent in. But overall, it's, it's the creativity of it. And I think too many times we, we, we marry talent and creativity. And I think I, I would consider myself a creative person. Do I always consider myself a talented person? Not necessarily. <laughs> but, but I think that, the, I think that we can separate those things and they can be exclusive because if we're talking about creativity, basically I think that all creativity is, is an exercise in reflection. In the sense that whatever you're creating, if we're talking about the heart and soul of it, it's coming from some experience, some feeling, and it's a way of expressing that or reflecting on that and giving new meaning to it or giving some kind of meaning to it that is a little bit more tangible. Yeah, absolutely. And that doesn't take a special person that takes like normal people do that. Average, like very average people. Everybody does. Everybody does that. And I like what you said about talent. And it makes me think too that like actually talent really has to be cultivated by practice like some people you know yeah take the most talented person you've ever met like they might have a natural sort of propensity toward it but if they didn't practice their butt off they wouldn't be talented they would just kind of have a natural gift like natural gift becomes talent with work you know so to just sit there and complain like oh i'm not talented well have you worked at it no so you're never even going to be close to being talented because (laughs) you don't even try like you don't even take the first step to try so it it exactly. kind of makes me just, it bums me out. It bums me out that people are so locked into cycles of fear that they will just label themselves and shut themselves down. And um, well, I don't know why we do that to ourselves, to be honest. I don't know either. I don't know either. I think that uh, one of the, I'm here at this this convention for podcasting and one of the keynote speakers talked about this idea of, you know, we, we like to use the word content, like we're content creators, da, 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 da. Um, but uh, this keynote speaker used the term self-expression. That that's all it is. Like, is that it's, it's, it doesn't take talent. It doesn't take anything. It's basically just self-expression. And you can't deny that to anyone. Like, whatever it looks like in its end result, it's still an expression of something that is alive and real and moving and creating an important role in the world that we live in. Yeah. And everyone has a fundamental right to express themselves. Um, I've heard a lot of criticism in the other direction of like, oh, we live in this culture where everyone's got to have an opinion. And <laughs> um, I was thinking about that today actually a lot um, in kind of anticipate for, in anticipation of this episode. Like I, I think about myself often like, oh, I want to leave a mark on the world. I want to, you know, be known for something. Or I want to do something. And I, I know that's a really old probably naturally human impulse, but we also live in a day and age where we have unprecedented ability to leave a mark like digitally or we cultivate public images like way more than other points of history, right? So maybe this like inclination to be sort of exceptional or not even like famous or wealthy or or infamous. It's it's more just kind of this like, I want to be known for something. I want to be special for something. Um, I think, I think our culture kind of facilitates that. But if you fo- if you keep your focus on like you're doing it for you just to have an outlet, that's why I like the language that you're using, Jeff, is creative outlet. Like what is that? What do those words mean to you specifically? I think, I think it's just anything. Like I think it goes back to that self-expression thing. Like it's anything that you're doing to express who you are. Like you're creative in the way that you form your words. Like everyone has a certain way of speaking and a certain, certain catchphrases that they use on a regular basis. The way that you dress, like I think everything that you, that you're doing that is expressing who you really are is creative. You are, you are participating in creativity. And I think that, um, anytime you're, even if, even like if you're cultivating something that's hiding who you are, it's still connected to the fact that you are aware of a certain aspect of you and you're, you're creating and you're cultivating this thing to distract <laughs> people from where you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's almost undeniable. And I think that with the, the mediums that we have, like right now, podcasting, like th- there's this, this avenue in particular, like no one can, and this is another thing that the speaker was talking about today was that nothing can stop you f- from doing this. Like you can't, if you make a TV show, if you want to get it on the, the na- main television network, there are barriers and there are people who are going to say, no, this is not good enough. This isn't this, this isn't that. But podcast, I mean, you just record it and you put it up and you have this voice. And I, and I wonder on a certain level if technology isn't creating a, um, you know, we talk about economic equality is how do we redistribute, 
uh, wealth and all that kind of stuff. I think technology is doing that on a certain level and level the playing field of creativity and talent and as far as people's voices being able to put out there. I think it was like last year there was only one album that went platinum as far as album sales. I know that has to do with technology, but also has to do with that there's so much stuff out there that no one person is going to dominate that space anymore as far as people's attention. Mm. And that no one may be able to, you know, have like the sales that Michael Jackson at the height of the 80s, you know, with his album. But now there's a more level of playing field where you have 100,000 followers over here and someone else has 100,000 followers. And it's this idea of like a creative playing field where it's level. Man, I look forward to the day when we look back at like this age, you know, 50 years down the road or whatever, and just see the immense liberation that took place with just the internet. Like when the internet started, like what are the, how are the history books going to describe this? Yeah. Like you're saying, like it's like we are venturing out in the new wild west. (laughs) Here we go. You know, like you're saying, no one's going to stop us. Um, It's pretty crazy to like be out and, this kind of space and just kind of put stuff out there and just see what, see what works. (laughs) Yeah. And you don't like, what have you lost? Nothing. Like maybe a little bit of time, but you've gained a way to express yourself and to, to put your creativity out there. And, uh, you know, if you're you're listening right now and you've already said you're not creative, that is bull crap. You are like everyone. Everyone is. is. Yeah. They have to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still thinking about the creative outlet thing. And I think, so, so maybe, do you think everyone needs a creative outlet? Um, and I'm thinking about a friend of mine. Uh, oh, Mariama. We, ha- we had her on the show early on, um, talking about, uh, issues of race and stuff like that. She was wonderful. Go back and listen to that, that interview. It's, it's great. Um, and she was telling me about these youth trips that they used to take, I think, in Brazil. And they would tell the kids, I thought, I love this so much. They would tell the kids, okay, we're going to go to like a a kind of a rougher neighborhood. I want you to go find where someone had cultivated beauty. Just go find, just go find something, snap a picture of it, whatever, come back and report. So the kids went out for a while and then came back. And amidst this really rough neighborhood where there wasn't a lot like infrastructure wise, there's not a lot of like public money or tax money being dedicated to making this space beautiful or this neighborhood beautiful. The kids came back and they're like, you know what? We found this tiny plot, like a four foot plot where someone had planted flowers and it was very evident that someone like really cared about these flowers. Or there was another uh, apartment where someone had hung their laundry in rainbow color. And like those tiny things that made the neighborhood more beautiful. And so then what the team did, I, I think if I remember correctly, is the the kids or the people, the volunteers, went and talked to the neighbors and said, hey, what can we do more? How can we do more of that? So they ended up painting murals and they ended up cleaning up trash and they ended up, you know, taking those little seeds of creativity that people had done just because, like just to do it, just to bring beauty into their into their world and like expounding on those seeds and multiplying them and making that whole neighborhood feel more hopeful. And I, I've seen that with community gardens, you know, people taking like areas of, you know, just empty trash filled lots and, and just planning some things and, and just caring about it. And then pretty soon the neighbors start coming and saying, Hey, what are you guys doing? And then they actually get to know each other and then they actually create something beautiful together. And, um, it can, it can make the whole neighborhood, um, gather around something important and meaningful. So um, it might seem like hanging your laundry in rainbow colors isn't important, but actually it really matters. It really can start something. It really can inspire other people. So I, I love that so much. And I think about that particular thing often when it comes to creativity. It's like, yeah, I might do my thing for myself. I might express myself for myself, but it does affect other people because I'm interconnected with other people. And, and it creates a connection. Like even, you know, you're talking about sending these kids out to discover something creative, but just in the very act of the thing that they choose is an expression of their own creativity, something that drew to them. That is that someone else's self-expression gave words for another person's. Hmm. I love that. Cause that, like you're talking about that. There was this idea that I never got to fully cultivate in youth ministry, but you know, a lot of youth ministry was talking or at students, you know, do this. And it was providing stuff for students. 
but um i think i think maybe we'd have a lot less depression and mental health issues outside of like real clinical ones but i'm talking about anyway uh if we if we created more avenues for people to self express i think we've narrowed people's focus to you you can you have to speak what you're feeling and that's that's narrow like but why can't we tell people you can draw what you're feeling or you can you know dress how you're feeling like there's all these mm-hmm. different ways in which we can unload those things on us and i had this idea of you know forming a youth service or any kind of religious gathering in a creative expression. So, you know, giving people or taking, telling people to take their phone and say, take a picture of something that represents this for you. How does this make you feel? And then coming together and sharing, and you can get a lot more out of that as a spiritual discipline because you're, you're expressing something in a way that, and especially for a teenager, I mean, how important is it for them to find avenues where they can express themselves? Because when we narrow their view of how they can express themselves, then, you know, that's where you you, you can run into some dangerous decisions early on and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, that's the youth pastor well, in me. Absolutely, though. No, that, I mean, people need to feel heard. That's super important. Yeah. And I'm thinking of another experience, uh, example that I heard of, like, as part of a youth activity one Sunday the rectors or the ministers, whatever, just told the kids to just go take pictures of the church grounds of something that like was meaningful to them. And they came back with the most gorgeous pictures. And like the minister hadn't even realized that like that tiny architectural detail was there. And the kids got to say like why it mattered to them or why they found it beautiful. And it strikes me that what you're saying, Jeff, and I, 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 I'm just putting together some kind of like disparate thoughts I've had in the last couple of days about all of this. But um, I think being a great listener is an art also like oh yeah you have great musicians great musicians need great listeners or they you know it it's a reciprocal thing you know if mm-hmm. if great musicians or great artists are doing great things and no one recognizes it then it it doesn't have the same significance you know so just the fact that you're seeing certain things and you're drawing that out and you're that is a process of creating meaning it is it's not it's not indirectly it's an active process of making meaning and it is self-expression, which is ex- exactly what you just said. <laughs> exactly. I think, I think it always, it's, that's what creativity is. It is always a form of self, self-expression because if you put it down to its bare necessity, it's coming from who you are as a person and it's communicating something, whether it's, you know, something you only know about, but it doesn't matter. It's still communicating something. And you know, you talk about active participation in the, the, the creative process for the longest time. I felt guilty when I didn't get something accomplished. Um, but I've, I've actually, you know, <laughs> some people from the outside might think this is lazy, but I've, I've come to really appreciate those times where I don't get anything accomplished. But without that time, I didn't have the process to really like put me in a mode towards something creative. Like if I just stressed myself out and tried to get something done and I have all this we- wasted stuff, I mean, almost like a creative Sabbath, so to mm. speak, I guess. I, I wonder, is time really wasted or do we just impose that? perspective on time is money jeff yeah exactly (laughs) and i think that's that's where creativity gets messed up is when we yeah anyway that's all well yeah and and i like the phrase you're using self-expression but to me it still kind of has like a goal orientation and i know you don't probably mean it that way but that's kind of the way that i hear it um but i i think i would have the same like spirit behind what i say when i i think the way i think of it is a little bit different is more total engagement like if I'm totally engrossed or engaged in the present moment and I'm feeling what I'm feeling and I'm listening to what I'm listening and I'm making what I'm making, like maybe that's where the process comes in. It's like not thinking about the future, not thinking about what needs to be done, but being completely and utterly present with what you're doing and who you're with. Hmm. Yeah, but don't you think to do that, there has to be a certain amount of certain amount of security in who you are? Like how many times in certain situations are you totally excited about it, but then you have this other side of you that denies yourself the expression of that excitement? I I think that when I think about like being secure in who I am, like I'm a relatively confident person, but I think if I waited to be secure in who I am to actually do stuff and to be creative and to take initiative, I would wait forever. Um, And I think some of the greatest artists of history have been totally and utterly insecure in who they were. And actually, they've created and expressed out of the pain of not knowing or or being frustrated with who they were. Like Van Gogh is one of – if you ever just read the story of Van Gogh's life, that guy, you know, had a lot of issues. And he had this dream to form an artistic community, and he invited some artists to come form it. And only one person came – 
another famous artist. And um, Van Gogh was just such a difficult person to live with that like no one could be around him for very long and he couldn't even really be around himself. Like he, he was kind of like kind of failure, kind of a dude, but he's one of the most brilliant artists of the whole century. So I think if we Mm. wait to be complete, if we wait to be ready, we're never going to be, you know, like that, See, no, the raw that's not expression. What I'm okay, sorry, sorry. So what I mean, because I, I see what you're saying, but what I'm saying is that really to engage the creative process, that we do it anyway, despite ourselves. Yes. And that when we, when we allow those things to hinder us, then that's when we're denying creativity. Yeah. Because we're denying ourselves. Yes. I like that. So I, I mean, I guess self-confidence or self-assurance, like as far as you are relating to yourself and nobody else, like you have to come to a level of being all right with yourself and loving yourself to say, you know, I have a right to do this and I'm going to reckon to nobody but me. And I have to be proud of what I'm putting out or I have to be excited about it. And other people don't matter. Like that's, that's kind of the only way to overcome fear, I think. Or at the very least, an an awareness that that's your tendency Mm. and you, you muster up the courage every now and then to step outside of that through some kind of, self-expression yeah and i wonder if people just honestly sat down with themselves and been like you know what if i'm really honest about it i've always had a desire to learn how to tap dance but i've never let myself want it or something yeah you know i've always had a desire to start a blog but i've never let myself want it i just talk myself down before i even let myself desire to do it but secretly deep down in there i want to do this and i'm too scared to let to let it happen, you know? That was the, this whole podcast thing, the hardest part was listening to myself. Mm, like, yeah. I, I don't know how many times I listened. I was like, I don't know. I'll put this out. I sound weird and all that kind of stuff. And then we put it out and I got really flattering things, sometimes like awkwardly flattering things that people said about the way I sound. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, maybe I need to reevaluate how I look at things. Uh, but, you know, it, it's a, it was hard. That was the biggest hurdle in actually like putting stuff out there was... Ugh, I don't, I don't like listening to myself. Yeah, that was super weird. I have to tell you all too. Like when I first heard myself on air, I was like, "Whoa, ah, make it stop!" <laughs> right? Yeah. That. Oh, it, uh, you have to get over your own aversion to yourself. I think um, you do because you know you sound different than you than you sound out loud in your head. Um, oh yeah, so yeah, different. so weird. Yeah. So it, it, there's some hurdles for sure. It's a fine line, like. I think it is important to listen to your community. Like if you're good at something or if you're not so good at something, like people will kind of let you know and that can kind of be helpful. But it's, I think it's important not to be ruled by that. Don't you think? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one of the things in church is, you know, singing, worship, all that kind of stuff. And when you are running a youth group where you have very little talent available to you, there's a lot of people that are just enamored by the idea that they get to be on stage. Exactly. Even though they don't have <laughs> any reason being up there. But that's a performance setting. And that's why I think that we really need to divide creativity and talent. Going back to that is because if someone loves singing, I would never want to stop them. But they don't have to be in front of people to do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like when they perform, it, that's an ex- that's an expression and that's a display of talent. Like quite honestly, that's what it is. Now there's creativity blended into that. They just happen to their creativity and talent happen to match. But you know, if I'm around people that that love me and appreciate me, and I'm a horrible singer, but they like are just love the fact that, that I'm expressing myself in this way and I can find maybe into most people's ear oddly creative ways to get that out (laughs) I don't think that's any less creative than you know like Adele or Beyonce who are putting out these these great albums the creativity I think is even it's just the talent that's different yeah that's really interesting and I've met people who have lower amounts of talent who have the passion for it you know like passion that I envy and they work so hard at it and so, you know, if that's what you love, then do it, you know? But it, it strikes me though that to really, to really get into this stuff, you have to kind of know your own mind. And I think we honestly, we live in a culture that's very standardized and very prepackaged and almost like, you know, you kind of pick, pick a couple mainstreams of thought. 
You know, like, are you going to be a Republican or a Democrat? Are you going to be religious or not religious? Are you going to be, you know, an activist or not? Are you going to, you know, be artsy or are you going to be a, a jock or a nerd? Like, you, you have these tropes, right? You have these, like, kind of prepackaged identities that are set forth. And you kind of, like, you, you've, you're kind of made to feel like you have some choice, like, manufactured consent style. But yeah. you, you don't really. And, and we, we don't really live in a culture where we're encouraged to actually know our own mind and think for ourselves, and really like ask ourselves, like sit with ourselves and from the deepest recesses of your soul, like what actually is my favorite color? Is it actually blue because everybody likes blue or do I like orange? And nobody likes orange, and I may be weird for like an orange, but I like orange. I like it, and I'm going to put it in every single painting that I make because it's what I like, and it's what I think. And I, I honestly don't think a lot of us really know that stuff. I think so. But I think that the, the, the flip side of that coin is that despite the fact that our overall culture seems to be more and more uniform, I feel like at the very least we may not have more. They may have always been there, but at least we have access to more subcultures than ever to be able to divide that out where people can find their niche and at least on one level have a little bit more of an ununiformed yay the internet interaction with the world the internet right? is victorious <laughs> once again <laughs> and and I love that how the internet is becoming more in areas you know people are now setting up groups in local areas and how like I I feel like the the trend that and this is just personal theory, but it feels like the trend of the internet is kind of coming full circle again. Or now, instead of the internet being the community, the internet is more and more becoming a way to facilitate community. I mean, look at things like, like ride sharing, Uber and, and Airbnb. Like these are ways in which the internet is used to bring people together that never would have been. Together. Although there's some serious issues with all of those. Yes, there is. Which we just have but to. At least on, the, on an altruistic, like. The idea of it is level. real nice. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it is cool. It is very cool when people can put creative ideas to work f to actually solve problems that uh, people are facing. That is, we need more of that, right? We need more of that. We do. We do. All right. Any, any last thoughts about creativity? Go try things. Go try things. Just go try them. Go, tr go start a podcast. Go do it. I, I hope you're more successful than us. We, we're not even that successful. We just like to talk and we have fun. Yeah. And we honestly, on, we're glad that people join us, but we do this for us too. Like that, it comes from our heart. And I hope that you hear Absolutely. that heart coming through because otherwise, what's the point of doing this? We're, we would just be talking and that would be a waste of time. So, um, yeah. go try things. And j honestly, I have to say, Jeff has inspired me in this in particular because Jeff has really made this show happen, you know, as like the producer of the show. And I've learned a lot, Jeff, just working f with you and, I was going to say for you, but I don't work for you. <laughs> Screw that. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I would though. You have such issues with authority. <laughs> we both do. I know. <laughs> we do. Um, I would though. I would say this for, to very few people. I would work for you. That's, that's high praise. I, I know you would hear that. I know you would. Um, but you know, just, just doing something despite your fear, despite whatever voice in your head is, whatever. Um, and realize that you are creative by nature. Just you have a right to, you have yes. a human right to be creative. You have a human right to try things, unusual things. Just, uh, you, you got your own little thumbprint and it's precious. Go be it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would echo that. Like you are creative, period. There's no qualifications for that. You are creative and it's just a matter of embracing that and discovering ways in which you're already creative that you've blinded yourself to. Mm. And I think it's just so important because I think there's a lot of freedom in that. I think in general, I am a very reserved person. Like it takes me a while. Yep. Like if, if I'm in a group with new people, I'm just kind of observing, you know, I'm not putting myself out there in any way. That's just how I am. So I think for me, that's why really acknowledging the places where I can be creative is important for me because these are ways that I can put myself out there. Um, some more or less subtle than others, but that's, that's, I think it's a freeing thing to give my voice out there and, uh, you know, 
you are creative. So let us know what you think. If you have anything to add to this conversation or heck, share with us your I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yes. Hey, if you if you do a new creative thing, like email us or Facebook us and tell us what you did. We want to hear about it. Yeah. Or comment the show notes at irenacast.com slash 71. All the ways to get a hold of us are at irenacast.com slash feedback. Send us your creative process. And if we get enough, um, I think if we get enough responses, like we would love to you know, put that out there in a way, like here are ways in which people are creative. And if you don't we'll know, read them on you air go to Irene Yeah, exactly. Or if you have a, if you have a mic on your laptop, you can record a message and it'll go right to us. There's a, on the feedback page, there's this little icon that says record feedback and you can just say it and we'll put it on there. We really, really like when people do that. It's so fun. We're like, Oh my God, we got a message. It's so exciting. Yeah, it, it's great. So there's all kinds of ways to get a hold of us. We would love to hear from you. Um, so on the other side of the music, we will be participating in a segment called Good News, Bad News. So Good News, Bad News. This is a segment that we introduced in episode 48. So how the segment works is that one of the hosts says, the good news is blank, and then Attached to that, the other new the the other host has to say, but the bad news is blank. So, for instance, I would say the good news is we have a cure for cancer, and then Mona might say the bad news is you have to. It's only cancer that makes your hair purple. Yes, which is very rare. It's extremely rare. Yeah, like um, one out of one billion people have. So basically, we go back and forth until. The other person gives up or just kind of fizzles out into some kind of <laughs> tangent, which is more likely. <laughs> uh, so that's that's kind of how the game works, and uh, this is the first time we'll be doing it with two people. So we'll see how this goes and how quickly we run out of ideas. So I will start. Is that okay? No. Yes, of course. Okay. You did say you would work for me, so you know. I'm- oh, I- I'm going to regret <laughs> saying that, aren't I? I think I already regret it. You might. <laughs> Because it was such high praise, I will try to forget and I won't bring it back up. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The good news is, is we have discovered a way to make dessert calorie free without losing any of its flavor. The bad news is you have to either eat it underwater or in space. The good news is space travel will be much cheaper. The bad news is... People still can't breathe underwater even 100 years from now, which is really disappointing personally to me because I would love nothing more than to be able to breathe underwater like an actual mermaid. The good news is, is that inadvertently saves us from a new sea monster that has evolved that eats people in the ocean. We started the segment saying we weren't going to talk about Donald Trump, but that's all I can think about is that the sea monster look exactly <laughs> like Donald Trump. <laughs> it's the bad news. <laughs> Our last time we did this, there was a whole good news, bad news thread about Mona going on a date with Donald Trump, and it just devolved quickly. It did. It's something about quickly. stroking his hair and then not being able to get my hand out of his hair, and I still yeah. have nightmares <laughs> about it still to this day. It's good. Okay, I'll, I'll concede that one. Uh, wait, no, I went last, so it's your turn. No, I won. No, come so on. I won that round, right? I started, and then I came up with the sea monster thing, and then you started talking about Donald Trump again. But I said it's because the sea monster looked like Donald Trump. Oh, I didn't. I don't think you said that. I, I tried to say it, but I was laughing too hard. <laughs> that's the bad news. Okay. That's, wait. The bad that's, news is the sea monster looks like Donald Trump. The bad news isn't the fact that it goes around eating people? Well, I mean, you could just stay out of there. But but you've already established that we have to stay out of there. Do, I mean, how deeply are we following <laughs> the logic here? <laughs> I'm following it very deeply because that's the whole point, right? To go back and forth is based on the logic of the premise before it. Okay, so wait. But then in your same vein of logic, how is the good news that the sea creature is eating people? Because we can't <laughs> stay underwater that long based off of your premise. But people go underwater all the time. But not anymore because there's a sea monster there. <laughs> that's a Trump monster. <laughs> okay, I think this one's a wash. Womp womp. Get it? Yes, very, very good. We got in too deep. 
on that one. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> We're just going to wave it goodbye. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. What's, what's your good news? Okay. The good news is it's time to go grocery shopping. <laughs> <laughs> that was an Allen level one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. That's good. Oh, you were serious. Okay. Um. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. I'll rephrase it. The good news is someone gave you a hovercraft. That's hard to think bad news about. I know. I'm making this real difficult for you. The bad news is you can't fit in it. <laughs> the good news is you have pet hamsters that can and it's so cute. The bad news is you failed to train your hamsters on how to drive. <laughs> but the good news is that you dress them up just like the Jetsons characters. I think I pulled this one the last time. But the bad news is you dress them up like the Jetsons <laughs> No, come on. Okay, okay. Um, that's weird good news. Um, <laughs> the bad news is they have no concept of the future, so they can't appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, man. The good news is that I'm out. I'm out of ideas. Ah, uh, I hate <laughs> losing. Ah, fine. I was going to say they went to the grocery store. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Let, let's do, okay. let's do one more round. Okay. Okay. The good news is. We've achieved world peace. The bad news is it came at the cost of everyone having to shave their heads. The good news is the act of shaving everyone's head even further leveled the playing field. So we have a greater sense of peace. The bad news is that everyone who has a real flat bald head automatically gets their status lowered in society. I have a real flat head, so it's something I've thought about extensively. Oh. It's just flat back mm. there. I don't know what happened. I was going to say, the good news <laughs> is we've discovered that people with flat heads have no soul. <laughs> <laughs> the bad news is they formed an army and are trying to defeat the world peace, and it's happening very quickly because they formed an army. The good news is that we forgot to mention in the first part that... <laughs> It wasn't our world that found peace. So <laughs> now our enemy world is going to defeat itself. Oh, we're, we're doing this alternate dimensions here? I'm going, I'm, I'm pulling out all the nerd stuff. You totally are. Well, the bad news, though, is that the a alien overlords who run the multiverse are not happy with the way this is going down and they're coming in to intervene. The good news is we now have a reference to the multiverse in our podcast, and that makes me happy. <laughs> How am I supposed to come back from that? That was the you cheapest can't. shot yet. I know. That's why I win. The bad news is that that was so freaking nerdy that you took a cheap shot in your reference to my reference about the multiverse. The good news is, <laughs> is that I was able to facilitate something that we don't have often on the show, which is a nice disagreement and argument. The bad news is that we're arguing and people are crying right now. You just made people cry. Conflict. Scary. Ah! <laughs> the good news is, is we're not going to the grocery store. <laughs> but the bad news is we're not going to the grocery store. Can't do that. I already tried that. And you said that, that doesn't work. <laughs> I'm defeated by my own game. And so we see how quickly this is. Yeah, <laughs> I've lost every great. time. What the heck? It's okay. I'm just a very creative person. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is getting a little too meta. <laughs> I think it? we're referencing no, our references. No, not possible. Not possible. Okay. <laughs> the good news is you have finally written your first book. The bad news is it's a bestseller amongst white supremacists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. That's horrible. It is. That's horrible. Oh, we're just... Is it because I talked about shaving people's heads and we're talking about Donald Trump? I think maybe. I think it was a little <laughs> subtle. It's in there. Oh, no. 
So ultimately, you win because you implanted in my brain that thought. <laughs> oh no! Um, the good news. I'm not. I I give up. I'm not making good news from that. It's not, yeah. it's not it's happening. Hard. <laughs> it's hard I'm not. I'm not going there. I'm just not going to do it. So yeah. <laughs> the good news I'm, is that, that I'm not going there. Booyah! <laughs> I win. <laughs> I'm calling it right now. I'll concede to that. Thanks. You give me that. one. I get one. Out I give of you. Four. I give you a difficult one. And <laughs> in my brain, I was trying to think of like the worst of the worst type people. And well, I mean, that's probably the lighter one that I could have said. So. Oh, oh God, lighter one. Oh well. well lesson learned. I'll never <laughs> write a book. <laughs> oh, this got silly quickly. Where is Alan? Alan, we miss you. He'll be back. We He'll do. be back, guys. We'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I think that'll do it for us this week because any longer than we're just going to completely derail <laughs> this episode, but perhaps the whole show. So <laughs> uh, if you enjoy what you hear and you want to hear more, uh, go to irenacast.com and there you can find all the ways to contact us, support us, and all that kind of stuff, uh, especially ratings and reviews on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on. Those really help the show and help people find it. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. Thanks for joining the conversation. I think it was. I think it was pretty good. Yeah, was, uh, you know what? I we I know we're, we want to make sure. That-